the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy is yours from the triune God. Amen. So yesterday we had an amazing welcome to House for All Sinners and Saints brunch. About 45 people gathered to get to know each other and the church a little bit better and to, of course, eat breakfast casserole. As is our practice, we all shared what it is about this church that draws us here or keeps us here. And then we tried our best to share with the new folks what House is about, what we do, and how it runs. I always have a list printed out in front of me so that I don't forget to mention things you can be involved in and things you can sign up for, but it's never dawned on me until this morning when I was finishing this sermon on Matthew 18 that I should also add things you can get excommunicated for. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, excommunication is a fancy church word for shunning people, for like kicking them out. And only once in my pastorate have I threatened to excommunicate someone. Uh, And to be honest, I can't remember the exact details, but I'm pretty sure they were in charge of food for a church event and suggested ordering, of all things, blackjack pizza. And since cheap, doughy chain store pizza is an abomination unto the Lord, so I suggested that excommunicating them would be a better option. Our gospel text for today, uh, that passage in Matthew 18 where Jesus gives some instructions for how to deal with someone who sinned against us, is sometimes called the excommunication text. If someone sins against you, Jesus said, to go to them directly. And if that doesn't work, to take a couple other folks with you and to talk about the real harm the person has done. And if they're still mean and abusive, and let, then you let the church know. And if they still refuse to stop hurting people, then you should treat them as an outsider. And there's more than one reason why this passage makes me a little twitchy. For starters, I know many of your stories. I've heard of how as a gay person or as a trans person or as a divorced person, you've been shunned or denied communion. I've heard about how when wielded with precision, this text has been used as a tool to eviscerate you and people you love, while some smug, far superior Christian then gets to stand above you thinking they have spoken the truth in love. This text makes me twitchy because Jesus is talking about how to treat someone who has sinned against you, but instead it's been used for how to alienate someone who the nice people think is a sinner, and that's different. As a side note, now, I don't think that there are many people listening here who deny communion to or kick out queer folks from church, but just in case there's a couple of them listening online later, I want to say this. Another person's difference in gender identity or sexual orientation is not a sin against you. It does not harm you. It actually has nothing to do with you. And so for the love of all things holy, stop using Jesus as a co-signer on your own hang-ups. Okay, side note over. (laughs) This text makes me twitchy because I wish like hell that Jesus had said, if someone has sinned against you, then go talk smack about them to a few other people. (laughs) before posting a thinly-veiled remark about it on Facebook, but he didn't. 
And so now I have to think about all the times in my life that I've chosen to triangulate others into a drama about someone rather than just going to that person directly. And this text makes me twitchy because Jesus is giving instructions for what to do if someone in the church sins against you. And I can imagine this being used as an excuse to not take responsibility for our own feelings. Because I imagine it's really about when someone does you actual harm, not just hurts your feelings by insulting Dr. Who, and so then you need to confront them about how hurt you are. (laughs) This text makes me twitchy because, frankly, I just don't trust us to get this kind of thing right. I've had a hard time trusting myself to be clear of my own self-interest and emotional triggers enough to not get this kind of thing wrong. So these are all really easy places to get stuck. But I'm done staying stuck around this stuff. So after quite a long time perseverating on the problems we have with this text, I started to go back and search for the promises we have in this text. There is a promise in Matthew 18 But to hear it, we might have to read the three verses that precede our text for today. This is what it says, three verses before. If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has to go astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of that one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. Next verse. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Sounds totally different in context. This text is about Christ promising to be present in reconciliation because that is simply God's nature. Boy, leave it to humans to take something Jesus taught about reconciliation and his presence and forgiveness and instead use it to judge and exclude others. But stay with me because ironically... Therein lies the good news in this text. Meaning, no matter how much Jesus' words have been twisted by us or others, no matter how badly this text has been used against us or that we have used it against other people, that cannot nullify the promise. There is a promise that God desires to be reconciled to us and we to each other, and that when we seek reconciliation, Christ is present. Here's some good news. No matter how badly this has been done, douchebaggery is never powerful enough to nullify the promise that God can bind together that which our sin has ripped apart. I mean, if the church getting things wrong and hurting people and not living up to the gospel could destroy the gospel, it would have been destroyed long before it was handed off to us to have our turn at getting it wrong. We Christians have done our best to kill this thing, and yet here it still is. The Church of Jesus Christ has survived papal corruption, the Crusades, sectarianism, toothy TV preachers, and clown ministry. (laughs) It will survive us, too. The power of the death and resurrection of Jesus will not be nullified by the Church's inability to live up to the promise of life and life abundant. Because God's ability to make things right is always more powerful than our ability to get things wrong. Seriously, if I believed more in the church than I did in God's ability to redeem our crap, I would have gotten out of this game long ago. So yesterday at that Welcome to House brunch, after everyone had said what they love about this beautiful church, as is my practice, I said how much I enjoy hearing those things and that I too love this community. 
but that they need to hear me say something, and that is this. This church will let you down. I will say or do something stupid or someone else will hurt you and we will fail to meet your expectations. But that if you leave because we let you down, you might miss the way that the destabilizing, gorgeous, shimmering grace of God comes in and fills in the cracks left behind by our brokenness. And it's too beautiful to miss. Don't miss it. So please, don't put your trust in this church. And don't put your trust in your ability to be a good Christian. And definitely don't put your trust in me. Put your trust in God's ability to not be stymied by our messes. Put your trust in Jesus, who defiantly keeps showing up despite us. Put your trust in Jesus, who says, where two or more people who get things wrong, where two or more people who don't bother to sign up for jobs, where two or more people who triangulate and gossip about each other are gathered, I am there. He is here. That's the promise. He is here with the power that is not our own. He is here with the power of one who has given all for us. He's here with the power of reconciliation for people who don't deserve it. He's here in bread and wine and water and the stranger sitting next to you. He is here again loving his broken ass church into being something beautiful. Trust that. Trust that. Amen. these sermons are meaningful for you, we invite you to support the congregation, and you can do that at houseforall.org. There's a PayPal button there. Also, we'd love for you to come and join us for liturgy. We meet at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Sundays at 2201 Dexter in Denver.